All right. Welcome, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Good evening. If you're out there online joining us, welcome. Glad that you are here. Um, Pastor Gabe, you heard when she did the offering prayer, uh, also prayed for the families and the people affected uh, by 9-11. You know, and we're on the, the uh, 20 years, 20 years since that originally happened. And, and we were talking yesterday and most of us, I think, can kind of remember where we were or what we were doing when we saw that happen and just had this feeling of, of evil just creeping in and just overwhelming, um, just this overwhelming presence. And then I was immediately reminded when we were talking about the scripture where Jesus is talking to Peter and he asks Peter who he is. And Jesus says to him, he says, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. I'm paraphrasing. And then he says, and then the gates of hell will not overpower it. And I think about what he meant was not Peter. Peter was not some superhuman. He was the church. He was the body, and he was the representative of the body of Christ. And we look today, we see all the things that are going on in the world, and what a, what a ironic bookend of 20 years ago to what's happening in Afghanistan now, you know, just just uh, uh, something in our minds that is just almost impossible to reconcile. We see what the sacrifices that were given, starting all the way back to the thing that caused our involvement as a nation in Afghanistan to what appears to be a surrender and a withdrawal. And you would be tempted to think, well, the, the gates of hell have, have overpowered there, but no, I want to let you know that is not what's happening. Despite the appearances, despite what we might see in our flesh, God has promised us that the gates of hell will not overpower. And he uses his body, which is you, the body of believers in Christ worldwide. I don't care if there's one, five, ten, or ten thousand that are in Afghanistan. God is using them right now for his purposes. And I have every faith that he's going to continue that. So while, yes, while we look at those things that happen around the world, and they are, they are terrible things, what happened on 9-11, I think, left a, left a scar in anybody who saw that happen. Just left a scar in your heart, and, and just a, hopefully it focuses us on the goodness and mercy of God and not on the darkness. It's so easy to focus on the darkness, but we are called to focus on the light. Focus on the light, and more importantly, be the light. And we don't do that by fearing the darkness. And so there is no fear. There is just thankfulness and faith that God and God's people will prevail, are prevailing, no matter what the world looks like to our eyes. Amen? Hey, let's get going. Let's get going in the message. Last week, I shared a message that was really difficult. So if you were here last week, um, I'm not going to repeat the whole message. But if you weren't or you missed parts of it, I want to ask you to go back and listen to the message last week. Um, I will recap some of it, and I'll do that because if you've ever been in any kind of communication field, whether, whether it's just public speaking or advertising or marketing, there's this thing called the rule of seven. Anybody know what the rule of seven is? You have to hear something at least seven different times, preferably in seven different ways, before you will finally register what was said, before you'll finally understand and hear it. 
And so I think God's people are more faithful than that. I think when God opens your heart to hearing a message, one time is all you need. But this is too important. It's too important a message. So if you're out there online and this is the first time, if you're here in-house, first time, first of all, welcome if this is your first time here. But this is going to be a little bit different message because I need to recap some of what was said last week and then teach you more about what I think God has for you. So let's go back. I told you last week, and this is important. So if you're out there online, set your coffee down, listen to what I'm saying to you. This church is in the middle of a serious financial crisis, a serious financial crisis. And we're there in part because I have not preached the whole counsel of God. I admit that to you. I repent before you as much as I feel I focus on teaching the word of God and I focus on scripture, focus on what the Bible has to say about our lives. There has been a major segment of the word that I have neglected. And that's on me. That's on me. The whole counsel of God is something. Paul said that. Paul, probably the most bold, effective evangelist there ever was. Church planner, evangelist. He was an amazing, amazing man, empowered by the Spirit the whole way. But he was so bold. Acts 20, 27, he says this, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Some translations say the whole counsel of God. And by saying that, by not shying away from preaching the whole counsel of God, which no sooner than I do it that the enemy comes in and says, people aren't going to listen. People are going to turn away. People are going to leave. People are going to shut off. They're going to open up their phones and start doing something else. You're losing them. Don't talk about that. Paul didn't shy away from that. And he did that by saying, you know, this is what God says on this subject, and I'm not going to shy away from it. And he knew that when he left, whatever church it was, wherever he was, that he could rest easy, knowing that he did what God had called him to do. Preach the whole counsel of God, and God would take it from there. Just be faithful to what God told you. I have not been that bold. I have listened to people that said, you need to minimize it, you need to push it down. I have listened to, I'll be honest, to the enemy in my own head. My own walk with the Lord was derailed probably three decades because of a church that was very, very forceful in the ask without explaining the why, without explaining the biblical truth and the biblical principles behind why we would give. They just simply said, give us your money and have a nice day. And that turned me off. So I hear constantly when I even, we say the word tithe, and I'll use it because it's a word that we understand. I hear that and immediately I go, I don't like that word. I don't like that word because of what it brings up in my heart. And there's so many people who have probably had experiences throughout their life or heard stories or different things where that word just has a thing. I want to talk about that. I'm going to talk about that more in depth here in just a minute. So bear with me. But I have minimized talking about finances so much here at DCC and the discipline of giving to the church that my oversight in that has created some fruit, and it's not good fruit. 
It's the fruit where this body, a large percentage, unfortunately, of this body does not understand the discipline of giving. Doesn't understand not only the discipline, but the blessing that comes from doing that. And that's on me. So I'm going to fix that. I've always believed and still do that God is our provider. Jehovah Jireh, he is our provider. If I stay faithful to the word, if I stay faithful to the vision that he gave us when we started this church, then he'll provide. He'll provide finances. He'll provide people. He'll provide a platform. He'll provide the very words that I speak. And I still believe that. I still, still believe that but I have overlooked some really important facts. And that is Jesus taught extensively on the subject of money, not just money, but giving and generosity in general. Paul's ministry was almost exclusive, well, not exclusively, but a huge chunk of Paul's ministry was about being generous. And money, as Jesus taught, can either bring a blessing or it can bring a curse. But it's a tool. Money is not the end all of anything, but it is a tool. And that tool can bring blessing or curse. I've also minimized the idea, and I've even said the words, but I don't know that I taught it. God uses people, people, you, the body of Christ, to accomplish his will. Checks don't ever show up in the mail, say signed by God. It doesn't work like that. He uses people. But there is so much mistrust and misinformation about the idea of giving to the church that many people have just said, I'm just not going to do that. I don't trust the church. I don't get it. And they might even say, well, didn't the new covenant of Christ abolish that whole thing? And they just will just rest on that. But that's not what Scripture teaches us. When we bring up the subject of tithes and offerings, you just get edgy. It just seems Old Testament. But the discomfort is because we don't understand the biblical principles, and I'm going to fix that. I tell you, I promise you, I'm going to fix that. But here's why before, this is going to be the recap of last week. I'm going to tell you why I'm telling you this at all. Why we're going so in-depth on this today, because this church, Discover Community Church, we are in the middle of a serious financial crisis, and it's going to take the entire body to fix it. It's going to take the entire body to be obedient to what God is putting on their heart to get us through this crisis. Now, we are at a crossroads. And the decisions we make, the path we take today, the choices we make, whether to be obedient to the word or not, whether to be bold enough to pray that the Holy Spirit would tell us how to engage or not, that's going to make a difference. And that will determine the future of this church to shine the light of Christ in our community. So again, I said this last week, but I want to say it again for those of you who didn't hear me last week. I come to you in humility and repentance. Humility because as much as I feel God made me that kind of person that just figures it out, whatever it is, figure it out. I've always relied on the fact that... doesn't matter whether I have done it before or not, I would have what I needed and I could figure it out some way or another. I am at a place where I can't figure this out. It is not an issue of the flesh to figure out. If I can just get a bigger hammer or another cooler wrench, which every guy wants, 
if I could just do that, I could figure this out. This isn't a matter of figuring it out. This is a spiritual issue, and it's a heart issue. And as a guy, especially, especially a doer kind of a guy, those heart issues are hard. And I admit that. And repentance for not preaching the whole counsel of God. Repentance of, in my pride, much of it was. I don't need to preach about giving like some of those other pastors do. I'm in the will of God. I'm doing what he's called me to do. I'm in the place he's called me to be. I don't need to do that. God will provide. And those people who spend so much time talking about giving, they're blowing it. That was a prideful spirit on my part. And I repent before God and before you of that. My failure to teach the whole counsel of God, especially on finances and generosity, then combined with this perfect storm of circumstances in the last couple years, has brought us to this place. And if God's people, you, the body of Christ, does not respond in a miraculous way, we may well soon have to close our doors to that vision and mission that God gave us. Church, I don't want that to happen. This body, this place, this church is too precious to me. Now, since last Sunday, I preached this last Sunday. I hate to use the word preach. I shared this with you last Sunday. And I want to tell you this right now. God's people have been so good and so faithful and so amazing. And God has given me not just, not just resources from unexpected places, but those who are part of this body, those who are not a part of this body have been participating. I've received, Gabe and I have, words of encouragement, prayers, prophetic words. We've received so much. It's just encouraging to us to just keep going. Keep going. But even, even during the Exodus, I was just reading the scripture during the Exodus when the Israelites are going through the sea that was parted right before them so they could escape. They've been delivered. There it is. There's your path to escape Go. God is so good and powerful and faithful. There's your path. They didn't celebrate until they were on the other side. And then they turned back and saw what God had done. And I know that we will all have that opportunity to do that together. But now's not the time. God has been good. People have been faithful. The miraculous has begun to happen. But it's a process. And so I don't want anybody to say, oh, it's over. We're out of the woods. We are not. We are not, but here's where we are. Here's where we are. As of last Sunday, I just want to be honest with you again. If, you, if you're doing something, pay attention and, and give me your attention right now if you can. As of last Sunday, we had enough in the bank to make it to the end of this month and not beyond. That was it. Financial resources were drained to the point where there was not enough to continue. And here's why. I want to tell you why we're in that position. During a critical time of a church in their life, when they launch out, the first few years are critical. The first year is critical in, in getting people to understand your vision and your mission and where you're going and what we're trying to do. The second year is a year of gathering momentum, gathering people, God bringing people that share in that vision. And let's move forward and let's do this. The third year is a year of just gaining that, gaining that momentum, building on what God's doing. And it was in that year that we got a visitor that we didn't want. 
That was COVID-19. COVID-19, like almost every household, hit us in a big way. It hit us in a couple ways. One, increased costs. Okay? We had to install cameras so that we could continue to live stream to people who couldn't physically be here. Increased um, disinfecting and cleaning costs. Our food pantry, we ramped up who we serve in our food pantry exponentially during that time. And so those costs went up while at the same time the attendance and the engagement, I'm talking engagement from a financial standpoint, went down. So the longer it went on, the longer this, the uncertainty of COVID-19 went on, some people disengaged from church on a regular basis, and just as importantly, they financially disengaged. Many just hit the pause button on their recurring giving. Many people that just give in the, in the boxes, since they're not here, they're not doing that. Some people cut back on their giving all just due to uncertainty, just uncertainty about, like everybody had, what tomorrow is going to hold. I better hold what I have a little close to the vest because I don't know what's coming tomorrow. And now that things seem to be on the recovery, there's always that specter on the horizon of what if we take a step backward again. That's why I need to teach about this. I need people to understand what the principles of giving. It's not a hard issue. I'm not trying to spin a story that tugs at your heartstrings to make you open up your wallet. That is not what this is about. It's not an emotional issue. It is emotional for me because I care about this and I care about this body, but it is a biblical principle that God teaches over and over again. And generosity outflowing from your heart is what matters. Your heart And where it is matters so much more than what you give or how you give. It's what's in your heart. At at DCC, our resources have always been like manna from heaven, just enough to keep going. We have never had the deep reserve, the deep pockets. It just hasn't been us. And it's been fine because I knew that God would always come through every week, every month, And we would be fine, and we have been. But I had a vision for so much more, to push forward and do more, expand the kingdom, do more food pantries, buy our own building, do more missions, do more in the kingdom, be more effective in the kingdom. And I trust that God is going to bring us to that place. But I want to tell you where we are now. So again, this is the same slide I showed last week. Here's our current financial situation. For some of you, it's the first time you've seen this. Go ahead and put that up, Jeremy. In 2019, our total giving was a little over 382,000. Again, that's that year of of figuring out who you are as a church, figuring out where you're going and what your what your attendance is going to be and really who you are. That is the point at which we looked at that 31873 per month average for that year and said, okay, knowing then, expecting to gain traction and momentum and even grow further in the next year, that's going to be, that'll be kind of where we set our budget at 31.8. So in 2020, our total giving was 348000 That's about a $29,000 a month average. Almost 3000 a month down on average. 
And we were hoping, everybody was hoping that this year would be a year of rebound. But in 2021, year to date, we're averaging 28,600, down even more. That's projected by the end of the year to be about 40,000 less than we had budgeted for. Now, here's the thing. We have never had that much in reserves. So that budget brings us to where we are now. That, that budget deficit, that is, brings us to where we are now. You can go ahead and take that down. The natural question that you might be asking, and there are all kinds of questions. If anybody has questions, I will be happy to talk to you for as long as you want about, about details. But here's what I want you to know. Your natural question ought to be, why didn't you see that coming sooner? And then secondly, what are you doing about it? So I want to tell you that. We didn't see it coming sooner. Listen to last week's message for a little bit more detail. But we started suddenly. In the scheme of things, God put the vision for this church and the ability to start it and the date to start it from, from nothing to where we opened our doors four months we didn't have time for giant fundraising projects or anything like that. We didn't have time to, to hire all kinds of accounting firms and, and office managers and, and even an admin or anything. We didn't have any of that. I was our preacher. <laughs> I was our, our facilities repairman. Uh, and I was also, unfortunately, our accountant. Me and QuickBooks. And we very quickly began to see that we needed to understand more about our financial situation. We needed more insight, more accurate accounting in terms of knowing where the bulk of our budget is going. And then with that, like any household budget, what can we do about it to increase it, stretch it further? Where do we need to cut? Where do we need? And that picture started to, becoming, to become clear when we hired a professional church-specific accounting firm. Just about that time, started, the, the picture started to become clear. I started to see that light focus and realized it was the headlight of a train coming out of a tunnel right at me, right at this church. And we were, by the time we knew exactly where we were, it was in emergency mode. So that's how we got here. When we were praying about the possibility of starting this church, I shared this last week. But God asked me this question. He said, if you choose not to take this church and you choose to just go back to your life or do something different rather than start this church, would your community know or care? I'm convinced. I'm convinced that we have made a difference. In the times, especially of COVID-19, we have been able to do things reaching out to the community in meaningful ways. I'm convinced that we have made a difference. Listen to last week's message for more details on that because I talk about it more. But what needs to be done? What, what are you doing? What needs to be done? Here's what we need to do. Now, this is where we really get to the meat of this. Number one, like any household budget, decrease spending. Okay? We're doing that. We're looking for places where we can trim our budget. We're looking for things that we can save on while still doing the outreach and the ministries that we do. None of those are being cut back. But we're looking at things like, say, our live stream production. And hear me, if you're out there online and you rely on or you use our live stream a lot, let us know. We always say, hey, shout out on the chat boards. Let us know that you're... That's more than just we want a wave or a, or a wink from you. We want to know. 
is that an effective use of our resources? Because it costs a significant amount to do that live stream production. So let us know if you're out there. Know this, if you're watching us on a smart TV, it doesn't tell us that you're watching. And if it does, it just will say one, one device. So I don't know if there's 10 people or, or 20 or, or one or what it is. Many mobile devices, whether it's your phone, your iPad that people watch on, if you have your privacy settings turned off, we don't know. So we might look and see there's 15 people watching the service online. We don't know where you are. We don't know if that's 15 individuals or if that's 150. We don't know. Please, if you're out there, give us a shout back. If you can, just in the chat board, just say, I'm here. You don't even have to give us your name. I'm here. I'm watching. If you can't do that, if you're on a smart TV, email us, info at discovercommunity.church. Let us know. We need to know if this is an effective use. And that's the only way we're really going to know. Let us know that. We're trimming fat from the budget wherever we can find it. We're doing that. Gabe and I, and I shared this last week, and it's still true, we're considering deferring our salary to make sure that this church can continue. It's that important to us. We understand the vision. Next thing we need to do is increase our operating budget. We need to, to our, our operating fund, and we need to quickly rebuild our reserves. Maybe more accurately, actually have a reserve for the first time. So our short-term goal, people like to hear numbers and have a target. You can't hit a target if you don't know what it is. Our short-term goal is two months of operating budget. Now, this is beyond what it takes to actually get us through the month. We want to have that in reserve. That's 63750 Now, there are people, I said this last service, and it's true. There are people out there who can just write that check. There are some people, other churches have that guy. Oh, I know a guy that I can always go to if I, if I need that kind of thing. He'll write me a check. I get that. DCC has not been that check, has not been that kind of church. But if that's you or you know who that guy is or maybe you're out there online, welcome to Discover Community Church. I would be happy to welcome you here. But it's not about that. It hasn't been about that here at this church. It's been about the body coming together. It's been about the body, each person holding up their part and doing what they can. That's what the body of Christ is all about. Not about one person doing everything while the rest watch. It's been about all of us bringing our gifts and what we have to this church. Our long-term goal now, let me share this with you, and I said it earlier, is to not only either buy this building or buy our own standalone building so that we can have a permanent place without leasing or being dependent on anything that can be that fortress, that sovereign territory of God, and we can know that going forward in the future, that's, that is secure. That's our long-term goal. More missions, trips, domestic, foreign, more food pantry outreach, more. The way to win a battle is not to hunker down and just hide in the hole and hope that the bomb doesn't hit you in the head. It's to get out and move forward and take new ground. Forcefully advance, move forward, Move forward. Take more ground in the kingdom of God. That's what we want to do. We're not just going to sit here and hope the storm blows over. We are going to continue to forcefully move forward. But I need you to do that. I need all of us to do that. And we can pull together. I know we can. So our short-term goal is to do that. Get that much in. I need you to prayerfully consider a one-time offering 
of whatever God puts on your heart, but then also to regularly give. If you don't now, I encourage you to start. And if maybe you do a little bit, maybe then test whether a little bit more is possible. This isn't me telling you an amount. I want you to go to God and seek his heart. Be obedient to what the Holy Spirit asks you to do. If we all did that, the church worldwide would be in an amazing place. But hear this. If you give a generous one-time offering and then either stop or count that against your regular tithe, we're going to be back in the same place very shortly. We have to not only have those special offerings to get us up to that place, but then the faithful regular giving to help us maintain that and move forward. Do you know Dave Ramsey? A lot of us have heard of Dave Ramsey. I shared this last week. He came out, he did a study and came out 75 to 90% of people who attend a church do not give to that church. 75 to 90% do not give. What the, and let me just be blunt with you. What he's saying, 75 to 90% of the people who attend a church think it's the other guy's responsibility to help support that mission, to help support that church. If you don't give regularly, please consider starting. And if you do, prayerfully consider increasing. Now, here's where I want to teach you today. I hope you've heard that. Feel free to talk to me if you have any more questions. But here's what I want to teach you. Tithes and offerings are often thought of as the same thing, but they're not. They are different. A biblical tithe, if you go back, the description of a tithe it is an Old Testament, an Old Covenant kind of a concept, and it is 10% of your income giving regularly to the church, faithfully each month. Now, an offering is different. That is, could be a one-time thing, but it's given for a special reason or a special mission, special purpose, special time, but it's extra. It's above and beyond your regular tithe. Now, the word tithe, again, that word that causes everybody to kind of bristle a little bit, is a word that it's, it is Old Testament in its origin for sure. It goes all the way back. The first time it's really mentioned is when Abram, later to become Abraham, receives a blessing from Melchizedek. That's in Genesis. So Genesis 14, 18 to 20, says this, And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God most high. And he blessed him, blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram of the God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has handed over your enemies to you. And he gave him a tenth of everything. That's Abram giving Melchizedek a tenth of everything. That tenth is a Hebrew word, ma'aser, and it literally just means tithe, and tithe means a tenth. That's where it comes from. But the idea of giving back to God goes back even earlier than that. Goes back way, way far. All the way back. Anybody know the story of Cain and Abel? Cain and Abel, Genesis 4.4. Abel, on his part, also brought an offering from the firstborn of his flock and from their fat portions. Now, there wasn't any law. The word tithe wasn't in use. But they instinctively somehow knew we need to give back to God. And that's exactly what they were doing there. So that's kind of the first part of the idea. But as the population of the world grew beyond just Cain and Abel and mom and dad, it grew 
And even pagans then began giving offerings. Even pagans began to offer to their God, their small g God, whoever that was. Their offerings were done a little differently, though. They were done to either to get something or to avoid getting something. I'm either going to give because I want my crops to go well, or I'm going to give because I hope I'm not hit by lightning tomorrow. It was more of a give-to-get kind of a thing. But even pagans were doing that. But the idea of a tithe, the idea of faithfully recurring giving like that was eventually put into law and given to Moses on Mount Sinai. That's Leviticus 27 says that. Leviticus 27.30. Now all the tithe of the land, of the seed of the land, or of the fruit of the tree, this is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Now why was that done? They were already kind of doing that. Why did it have to be put into law? Do you think it was because God went, my checking account's a little bit lean. I need to get people to give more. God didn't need their grain and didn't need their fruit. What he needed was their heart. And what he needed was their heart and their faithfulness. And the idea here was to separate God's people from the pagans. Because pagans were already doing kind of their own thing anyway. It separated God's people from the pagans. And it was an act of obedience and faith that set them apart. Now, when the Levite priesthood was then later established, it was the instructions were given for the Israelites to bring the tithe then to the temple. And the idea was then to support, uh, as an act of worship, to support the priesthood and the temple. Read Numbers chapter 1 and 3 if you want to go in and see how that was all kind of put together. But the idea, again, once the Levite priesthood was established, it, was, it needed support. The temple needed support. And the tithes of the people were brought there to help support that. So that's all Old Testament stuff. So many people say that the tithe, the idea, went away with the new covenant of Jesus. And I might just agree with them. But let me explain it to you. Let me tell you why. So again, people say new covenant of Jesus that went away. They'll almost always point to what Paul said in Romans 6.14, which is this. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Okay, so they look back at all the, you read, you read all the law in the, in the Old Testament scriptures, and, and it says, we're not under the law anymore, we're just under grace. And they go, oh, cool. Well, that means that whole thing about giving a 10%, I can just set that aside. The question I would have for them, and maybe for you, why then do we still refrain from murder and adultery and idolatry and lying and cheating and stealing and all those things that, that were under the law then? Why do we still follow that? But it's as far as giving then that, that 10% to the, to the church, that tithe, why do we draw the line there? I'm not sure the answer of that, but here might be one reason why. So Jeremiah 31, 33 Old Testament prophet Jeremiah, for this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The law was within them. They didn't need to look at a tablet or been told. They knew somehow. Paul, the apostle Paul, followed this up like 600 years later after Jeremiah said that. Paul wrote this to the Romans, Romans 2, 14, 15. He said that, let me read this one to you. 
Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written on their hearts, for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they're doing right. God's law is written. People know instinctively what they should do, but there's a disconnect between that then and then where giving and generosity comes in. Some people struggle with that difference. So yes, I might argue and I might believe what they say, that the concept of tithing 10% went away with the new covenant of Jesus. Here's the catch, though, and there's always a catch, right? The catch is we're called to something much higher than that. Just obeying the letter of the law, that should be our bare minimum. We're called to something higher. Matthew 5.20 says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness far surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. That's Jesus saying, hey, okay, we got these scribes and Pharisees who spend their entire lives 24-7 trying to adhere to the law, and unless you think you can be better at it than they are, you're not entering heaven. That's why we needed Jesus. But the bottom line is that adhering to the law is the bare minimum starting place. Jesus didn't abolish Old Testament law, he fulfilled them, and he called us to something higher. Luke 21, 1 through 4 says, Now he looked, get this story before I read this. Jesus is in the temple and he's teaching. He's in the temple and he's teaching those people who have gathered around him. Now in the temple, the temple is a busy place. It's kind of a hub of activity. There's stuff going on all over the place. And Jesus is sitting in the temple and he's teaching and he looks up. Now, he looked up and saw the wealthy putting their gifts into the temple treasury. And he saw a poor widow putting in two lepta coins. And he said, truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them. For they all contributed to the offering from their surplus, but she, from her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. That lepta, by the way, it's the smallest Greek coin you can get. It's tiny little Greek copper coin, it was the equivalent of about 1 64th of a laborer's day wage. Okay, and here's, in fact, what it looked like. Here's a, there's a picture of what a lepta looks like. That's a hand. So see how small they are? She put in two, which, by the way, you weren't allowed by law to put in less than two. But today, that would translate to about an eighth of a penny. Some translations, by the way, use the word might. And that's like King James uses that word might instead of lepta. But get this, and here's the important part from that teaching. Jesus had that opportunity at that moment to denounce the idea of giving to the temple if that was his plan. He could have said, see what's happening over there? That's not what we should be doing. That's not what any of you should be doing. But did he do that? He actually praised that woman for her sacrificial giving. That giving, that tiny little amount, meant something to her. Might have been the difference between eating and not. And she gave it. And Jesus could have said, could have said, no, don't do that. Keep it. You need it. But that's not. That was his chance to abolish that, denounce that practice, and he didn't do it. In fact, even more, as the Apostle Paul then traveled around the world planting churches, evangelizing, spreading the the gospel of Jesus, he spoke on the idea of giving 
And more importantly, the idea of generosity really extensively. He taught about it a lot. Now, he didn't use the word tithe. In fact, you don't see the word tithe in New Testament really at all unless it's kind of referring to that Old Testament process. But he moved well past that idea of 10% because the law says so into the idea of generosity. And he taught about that a lot. Now, if you look at the kind of the sum of Paul's teaching, he really boils down the idea of giving and generosity into three kind of general areas. Giving joyfully, giving generously, and giving consistently. All of which are important. Here's some scriptures. 2 Corinthians 9-7. Give joyfully. Each one must do just as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We are called to give joyfully. Then generously, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5. Now, brothers and sisters, we make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. He's telling the Corinthians, now look, listen to what this church did. That in a great ordeal of affliction, great place to be, right? Their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. Wait a minute. Ordeal of affliction, deep poverty, abundance of joy, they all go together, overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. Verse 3, for I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave voluntarily, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us, by the will of God. They were begging to, out of the very little that they had, let us help participate in what God is doing. Then a little bit later, 2 Corinthians 9, 6, Now I say this, the one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the one who sows generously will also reap generously. It is not a dollar amount. I want to make that clear. This isn't a give more to get more. This is a generosity of your heart. Whatever that means to you, that's what that means. And then the last part, give consistently. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you are to do as well. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper, so that no collections need to be made when I come. So he's saying giving a tithe is something that you should do consistently. Set it aside on a weekly basis. Giving a tithe is something that we should do consistently with the thought of honoring God as our provider. Our Jehovah Jireh, our provider of everything. We do that to honor him and we should do it joyfully, faithfully, and generously. Now an offering then in kind of contrast, is anything extra beyond what Scripture says, what you have purposed in your heart to give, that, that weekly, consistent thing that you do. It could be weekly, biweekly, monthly, but on a regular basis. And an offering is what you do beyond that. could be because the Holy Spirit gave you that urging to do it. It could be because you know of a need and you have sudden ability or funds to be able to meet that need. That's an offering above and beyond. And we are called to do that as our heart overflows to to purpose that in our heart. 
But we are to offer much more to God than just our financial resources. If the body of Christ is to be effective, it's not just about bringing money into the storehouse. This church, the church in general, needs you. It needs what you can offer. And financially, yes, but it's also the gifts that you have been given. At this church, we need greeters. We need more people on the worship team. We need people to help us with various ministries, with the youth ministry, with kids. We need people to help us serve in those capacities. And those don't have anything to do with money. But that is offering more of yourself to the service of the Lord. Paul tells that again, Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. He wants your heart. And the outflow of that could be giving of your financial resources, but also giving of your time, giving of your gifts. That's equally as important. So church, this is, I need to wrap this message up. This is an exciting time. We are faced with an obstacle that only God can overcome. And when I say only God can overcome it, He's going to prompt your hearts on how to help with that process. And it's already begun. And I'm so encouraged. And I'm able to stand up here with just a heart that is so full of anticipation for what God is going to do. I am excited about seeing that. I have a letter that I want to share with you. And I'm going to do it here in just a minute. But even as I do that, the enemy is poking at me like he is probably at many of you. Don't share a giving message. Don't talk about giving. Don't talk about tithe. Because what if? What if you don't end up with enough? What if you put it out there and people don't respond? What if? Here's what the enemy spoke to me last week. What if you say that and somebody's hearing you for the first time? They're going to go, oh, that church is all about money. And that's the last you'll see of them. Satan was poking at me, poking me in the chest so hard I could almost feel it last week when I was doing that. And I'm going to share, you, share with you in just a minute how that worked out for Satan. Over the last year, Gabe and I have received several prophetic words about the future of DCC. And many of them contain this common, this common theme, this idea of revival, idea of the revival of the church worldwide, but not only that, but here in this body, revival. Let me explain to you what revival is because many people picture a tent out in the woods somewhere with a bunch of sweaty people sitting and waving their arms around. Okay, that's a thing. That's, yes. Thank you, Andrew. Here's the definition, though. Christian revival, this is just straight out of, the, out of the web. Christian revival is increased spiritual interest, reawakening, or renewal in the life of a church, congregation, or society with a local, national, or global effect. And it includes a rekindling of a love for God an appreciation of his holiness, a passion for his word and his church, a convicting awareness of personal and corporate sin, a spirit of humility, and a desire for repentance and growth in righteousness. How many of us here, you don't have to raise your hand unless you want to. If you do, you have to wave your hands though. How many have been praying for revival in the church? Many people. I do all the time. Lord, I want a revival to come in the church, but a revival isn't something I'm going to do up here. Revival isn't something that if our worship team just picks the right songs, we're going to have revival. Revival comes from a personal decision that the people of God make. 
That's you to say the things of God are more important to me than the things of this earth. And that's a decision we have to make. And if we all make that, yes, good teaching, good worship, a good place to gather together, those are all things that help facilitate that, but it starts in your heart. Like generosity, like giving, like the things Jesus taught about, they start in your heart. We don't do them because Scripture says you're supposed to do this. We are called to something higher. So I want to ask you, your priorities, what are your priorities? Are they the things of God? Or are they things like politics? Are they things like your bank account? Is it your free time, your hobbies? Bronco Sunday? Do you prioritize? It's okay to be interested in and to to look at those things and to be involved in those things and to care about them. But do you prioritize those over the things of God in your life? You want revival, that's where it starts with a reprioritizing of your personal ideas. Jesus teaches that our priorities in life are a clear indicator of where your heart is. Anybody heard this scripture before? Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I want to tell you, if your treasure is tied to the things of this world, then you will never feel peace. If your treasure is tied to things that can be taken away, if your treasure is tied to, man, (coughs) if I lose my job, then what? And if that's where your mind is, if that's your treasure, then you're always going to be uneasy. You're never going to be at peace. Is Is it, man, if they just get the right people in office in Washington, then I can rest easy. Where's your treasure? Where's your heart? If it's in the things of God, then you will have peace. So I want to ask you, I've seen this meme on Facebook a thousand times, many of you have, and it's always in regards to whether to wear masks or whether to get vaccinated or not, or vice versa. And the phrase is, does does it reflect your faith or your fear? How many people have heard that recently? Faith over fear. I choose faith over fear. But does your giving reflect that? Does your giving reflect this generosity that flows out of faith? So, hear me now. To to set the example of faith and expectancy, this church, now we are in a place where we are in a serious financial shortfall. I don't know where our next rent payment is coming from. I do know God's giving it to us, but it ain't in the bank yet. I'm telling you now because God put this on my heart and I promised him and I'm telling it to you. DCC is going to give 10% of the tithes and offerings that come in this month to Denver Street School right off the top before we pay any bills. That's happening. We are not going to hunker down and say, I just need to gather all that we can so that we can make our bills. No, that is not what any of us are called to do and it's not what this church is called to do. It's not what a corporate CEO would do. He'd be fired in a minute. But it's how someone with faith would act in church. It's how the church should act. And so we are going to lead from right here and say 10% comes right off the top. Before I write the next rent check, I'm writing a check to Denver Street School for 10% of the abundance that comes in this month. In a time of desperation and uncertainty, we should expect the miraculous. In church, I do. 
Now hear this too. We should not give generously hoping that it will change our circumstances. We don't, this isn't give to get. We don't give to change our circumstances. You know why we give? We give because we are promised that it will change us. So we don't give to change our circumstances. We give because it will change us. Colossians 3, 1 to 4. Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is, seating at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For when you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Keep seeking the things that are above. Set your mind on things that are above. I want to share a testimony. Last week we did testimonies. Please go back and listen to last week's message online. Jeremy has done a, his magic there and merged the testimonies from both services into one so that you can hear both services worth of testimonies. I was going to do that again today. But in light of what I said, how the enemy always wants to lie to you, especially as a leader up here, the enemy wants to lie to me and say, if you teach on giving, people will be turned off and they will leave. Well, last week, we had a first-time visitor come in the doors. And I remember seeing him, and I remember even as I was teaching, I heard the enemy say to me very clearly, well, that's the last time you'll see him. He'll never come again. Not only that, most of these other people won't either. Let me share with you a letter that a first-time visitor last week, I'm just going to read it for you, that he sent to me this week. He said, I do have something that I'd like to share with you that has been on my mind. By the way, he was back today. Yourself and some of the congregation were a little doubtful that somebody was visiting you for the first time with last week's sermon. So I wanted to let you know what my thoughts have been since then. Okay, I'm going, here we go. I find it remarkable that I have found DCC at this time. I could have visited a million other churches that day, and none would have been able to offer what you and your congregation did. I felt faith in both the positive and negative spaces that your sermon created. On one hand, I will have the chance to see a strong congregation come together and save their place of worship, What an experience. After a single visit, I get to witness the whole community come together and declare their devotion and strength. What a privilege this would be. I would never understand such resolve in months or a year or longer from another place of worship. On the other hand, should the DCC building become no longer financially feasible, then I get to see who in the congregation will walk out into the woods and continue their resolve and prayer together. What an unbelievable privilege to think that I could find myself in a very close-knit, very devoted, very determined, and undefeated group of people like that. And there I could be, brand new to a group whose faith I can be absolutely certain is strong among all its members and count myself among them. Such things may not ever arrive in one's life. And it almost certainly would not happen without a long process of relationship building to achieve it and feel such a presence. I feel the sorrow and concern you all have for your place of worship. I cannot imagine it, I can, I imagine it cannot be easy facing the crossroads that you and your congregation have found themselves in. 
But I heard and felt the voices of your parishioners, if even only a few. And the presence of God is very strong in them. And you provided them that opportunity. You helped get them to their union with the Lord. I can see it. Your church is a holy place and sacred to your congregation. Of this, I have no doubts. But I have faith that I have found a group of people who will not be defeated if they must sit in a circle in a park if need be and create the presence of the Lord there just as they always have. I hope these sentiments can be heard and felt by those who are doubtful about the future of DCC. I would certainly share this with them myself, but an outsider such as myself informing a congregation about their faith is very likely out of place. It's not. But if God had told me that I can believe in them, I personally have no doubt that this congregation will never end. Amen. Amen. That's what God can do when your heart is open. That's what God can do when my prayer is, Lord, let my words not fall on deaf ears. Let my words and my heart be heard. And he heard not just my heart, but yours. Worship team, you guys can go ahead and come up. I want to ask you now as we go into communion to be bold enough to take this time to pray about how God would have you respond. If you already have and you are responding in faith to that, then thank you. Gabe and I thank you for your faithfulness and the things that we have seen come out of that. Church are so encouraged, but we are walking through the parted seas right now. We haven't reached the shore, but I know that we'll be able to praise him when we get there. But let's take time. Let's be honest. Let's be bold. Let's pray about God's leading. And whatever that is, let's be faithful to that. Amen? So as we take communion, we have communion at the crosses. You can serve yourself there if you'd like. Dip the bread or the, or the cracker in the juice. Up front here, Gabe and I will have bread and wine, and we would be blessed to serve you up here. But let's do this not just, not just because, oh, yeah, Jesus did that thing. It's through his sacrifice that he gave so much. He gave his life as an illustration of sacrificial giving. And that's what I praise here today. When I take communion today, it will be knowing that through his blood and through his body, we have all been given eternal life. We have all been given the Holy Spirit by which this body, his church, will accomplish the miraculous. And it starts here with us aligning ourselves with his sacrifice. Thank you, church. Have a blessed day.